following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. This theme of brokenness that we ended up the sermon with this morning, it was just something that I, I couldn't get out of my mind. I've been going over this passage and uh, what it meant all week long, and it kept pointing to that. And, and this theme about desperation leading to intentionality just kept surfacing over and over and over again. And so I, I thought back a lot to uh, the week that Marcia and I spent down in Florida after Hurricane Ian and how we ran into several different people that just handled their adversity uh, differently. And so that's the way it is with us, naturally, as human beings. Uh, each one of us handle adversity a little bit differently. Your circumstances, you've heard me say this time and time again, your circumstances will either make you bitter or they'll make you better. And so some of these people down in Florida uh, basically lost everything that they owned, all of their possessions in their home flooded. Some of the homes had six, seven, eight foot of water in them, uh, unrecoverable intruded by salt water. Uh, their home was basically damaged beyond repair. Uh, some of them didn't know what they were going to do because they didn't have the proper insurance to cover uh, the damage that was caused by the hurricane. Some of them were there during the storm because they didn't heed the warning. And so they were already shaken by that on top of uh, being shaken by their losses. And we ran into so many different people that had so many different looks and onsets as to what they were going to do in the future. Some people threw up their hands and said, you know what, I can't go through this again. I've been through it before. I'm out of here. I'm not coming back. And some people were just dead set with the mind, you know, I'm going to recover from this. These are only material things. I still have my life. I still have my family. I can replace everything that is in my home. I can rebuild from scratch. Uh, it brought them to a point of desperation, but it also brought them to a point of intentionality. Here's what I have left. Here's what I'm going to start with. Here's what I want to end up with, and I'm not going to let anything get in my way. It's not always that easy, uh, but when you have Jesus in your life, it does make it a little bit better and a little bit easier uh, no one said that being a Christian is going to be easy. Nobody said that it was going to be a walk in the park every day. Uh, each one of us have our own independent struggles. Uh, some were a little more severe than others. Some were unexpected. Some were self-inflicted. Some were caused by external sources that we had no control over. That's kind of the situation that we see Ruth in tonight. The first two chapters that we've covered, man, it's been nothing but misery, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Uh, it gets better from this point on. But we see developing in Ruth and Naomi a mindset of we now know where our answer lies. Let's take the proper steps to get to the place where we need to be. So just to summarize, if you haven't been through any of our study at all, I want to summarize real quickly about Ruth's experiences, what she's experienced, and what she's been through in the first two chapters. She's experienced affliction. She's experienced alienation. 
She's experienced abjection, abject poverty. And now she's at the point to where she's seeking acceptance and adoption by her Redeemer, Boaz, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So her affliction, famine had stricken the land, her and her family go back to Moab, a place where the Lord told them not to go. Naomi lost her husband. Ruth and her sister-in-law, they lost both of their husbands, both of Naomi's sons. Uh, Ruth and Naomi are now on their own, uh, two women in a dark, dark time. This happened during the time of the judges, one of the darkest times in the history of the nation of Israel. So she knew all about affliction. Uh, being a Moabite, she follows her mother Naomi back to her hometown of Bethlehem. In the land of Judea, Israel, that is her people, that is Naomi's people. And so Ruth herself is somewhat kind of alienated now. She is a foreigner in a land uh, that she doesn't belong. She doesn't really fit in. But she's doing the best that she can to provide for her mother-in-law by going out and gleaning in the fields to provide some kind of food for them. Objection, she suffered from abject poverty. Two widows... On their own, that's not a good place to be back in that day and time, especially under conditions like that. But she stumbles across a man who is related to Naomi, and he will soon be her kinsman redeemer. Somehow or another, Boaz uh, sets his eyes on Ruth. Ruth captures his attention. Uh, he tells the workers in the field, you better leave that woman alone. Not only leave her alone and protect her, but let her have some of your water that you draw. Usually it was the other way around. The women would draw for the men. He said, not only that, but you leave a little bit extra in the field. Uh, the law requires you to leave a little bit in the corners of the field to drop a little bit extra, but I want you to give her more than that. And so at the end of the day, Ruth comes back with, way more than she anticipated, anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds of grain and barley. But now she seeks something a little bit further. She, she learns that by law, Boaz is obligated to continue the line of the heritage and make sure that Ruth has someone in her family uh, that will be birthed later on. And we see continues the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does brokenness bring in our life? This morning I used the illustration of the egg and how God only uses broken things. God doesn't take us and crush us to get what's inside of us out. But God gently taps and cracks on us and chips away at those rough spots and those hard spots until what's on the inside comes out and is useful. So let's read in the book of Ruth. Chapter 3, we'll pick up on our story. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 tonight. We may not cover them all, but I, I want to lay down this part of it. And the points that I have tonight aren't necessarily connected with any verses per se in this passage, but they are uh, connected to the concept and the train of thought that we look at in this passage. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, 
Is he not our relative? <clears throat> Excuse me. He is, in fact, winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So he went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? That's not necessarily the words that would have come out of my mouth if this were to happen to me. <laughs> uh, the way it's cold as Marcy's been keeping it in our, our bedroom, I, I was kind of hoping she'd lay over my feet to keep them warm at some point. I started calling her Elsa. I don't know what's going on, but man, used to, I couldn't keep it cold enough for myself. Now she is freezing me out of, I don't know where all this came from, but now she is freezing me out of the house. I called her Elsa the other night. But if someone were to startle you in the middle of a good, sound night's sleep, probably you wouldn't take it as calmly as Boaz did here. He said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Father God, we thank you that you are our provider. Lord, we don't, we don't deserve what you give us, Lord God, but it's only by your mercy and your grace that you bless us, Lord God. Exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. I thank you for this beautiful picture that you're painting for us, Lord. Uh, probably for each person here, and maybe it represents something a little bit different. They, they notice something a little bit differently. But I think there are some crystal clear steps, um, that are involved in this passage, Lord God. We, we see a progression that takes place from where Ruth and Naomi are to where they're fixing to be. We also see a, a degree of humility coming from Boaz as well, Lord God, as he uh, attempts to make their life for them better by redeeming them, providing them with a quality of life that they could have not have found in any other way. So many different pictures we could draw out of this. But, Lord, tonight I pray that you'll speak to our hearts in a way that you never have before. And help us to see, Lord God, what happens when we truly place ourselves at the feet of our Redeemer and submit our lives to him. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So point number one that we're going to draw out of this passage is that brokenness leads to desperation. Brokenness leads to desperation. The school of hard knocks, we've all been through it before. We've learned our toughest life lessons during the darkest times of our lives. 
We have learned lessons that we have not have learned any other way if those situations had not have taken place. We may not have enjoyed it at the time, but looking back on those times now, we can see where God was gently guiding us and directing us and allowing those things to take place in our life to teach us a lesson that we would not have learned in any other way. Brokenness leads to desperation. When you're in a desperate situation, there is an extra level of intentionality. I'm in a situation that I need to get out of, and there are some, some crystal clear steps, some intentional steps that I need to take to get myself back to a way of thinking and a way of life that is going to be a little more stable than the condition I'm in right now. Whether it's an emotional condition, whether it's a spiritual condition, whether it's a psychological condition, whether it's a physical condition, whatever the need may be, we all venture off at some point in time. We have something happen that just throws us off of our track. And somehow or another, we've got to take some intentional steps to get back to that point to where life is a little more normal or back to normal the way it used to be. Brokenness leads to desperation. Think back to the pandemic, something none of us anticipated, some of us have never experienced, some of us never saw it coming, but it put us in a position now we have to take some intentional steps. Back then we had to take some intentional steps to work through that difficult time. Social distancing, you don't hear about that anymore. We still see people wearing their face mask in their car by themselves. I'll never figure that one out. But there are still people today that are in the habit of wearing those face masks just because they've come accustomed to it. But those were steps that we had to take during that time to get out in public, to come to worship places. We had every other pew in here roped out. We took some intentional steps to get us through that dark time. We were desperate. We wanted to meet together. We wanted to make this work in whatever way it took. When you're in a desperate situation, there is an extra level of intentionality. I'm going to take some very intentional steps to get back to that place where I need to be. That's what repentance is all about. I know I've stumbled. I know I've fallen. I know I've done something that I shouldn't have done. I know I've sinned against God. But now I've got to take the time to take some intentional steps to get back to that place where I once was. James 4, 8, that's a verse that's been on my heart for several weeks now. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You are intentionally moving back in his direction because God hasn't moved. He says clearly time and time again in his word, I do not change, I don't move. My characteristics, my attributes, they are eternal. They will never change. I'm still in the same place. He says, you're the one that has drifted away from me. And now it's time to take some intentional steps to get back to where the Lord is. When you're in a desperate situation, there is an extra level of intentionality. I think about the Philippian jailer. We studied him a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas were in prison. In a midnight hour, they began singing. There was an earthquake. Their chains fell off, their stocks were loose, the prison bars were open, the gates were open. The Philippian jailer just knew it was all over for him. All of his prisoners were gone, but that wasn't the case. He was afraid. 
He was intentional about what he needed to do. When he found out that Paul and Silas were there, he was intentional. He said, what must I do to be saved? He wanted something intentional to get to a point to where he knew Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. He was in a point of desperation, and it led to some intentional steps. What did he do? He fell down at the feet of Paul and Silas. He was very intentional about it. He said, I, I've got to do something. I've heard about this God you've been singing about all night long. I, I've been as mean as I possibly could to you, but you love the Lord. You've been singing. You've been having this, this praise and worship session down in your jail cell. Now I want to know what I can do. I'm desperate. I'm in a desperate situation. I want to know how I can be saved. So that's the point that Ruth and Naomi are at. What, what must we do to get out of this situation that we're in? Desperation leads to intentionality. Here's something I want you to think about in your life. When is a time in your life when you've prayed the most, when you've prayed the hardest, when you've prayed more often than you ever have before in your life. When you've prayed with more intensity than you ever prayed before in your life, more than likely it was when? It was in a time that you were desperate. It was in a time that your life was just in chaos. You didn't know what to do. You didn't know where to go. And all you could do was cry out to the Lord. You were very intentional and very specific with your prayer life. Your time of brokenness led to a time of desperation. And your desperation led to some intentional steps to get back to the Lord. Unfortunately, that is the case for most of us in our prayer life. We, we think God is like that, you know, in case of emergency, break glass. Well, that's not the case. That's not how God wants it to be. But when we get in that desperation, we find ourselves drawing closer to the Lord than ever before. And we learn more during those sorrowful times. We learn more during that brokenness. Listen to this poem written by Robert Browning Hamilton. It's called Lesson Learned Through Sorrow. He says, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. But left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow narrow words she said, but oh, the things I learned from her when, uh, when sorrow walked with me. I said that wrong. I, I walked a mile with sorrow, and narrow words said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. I think most of us can say we've been in that situation before. Those sorrowful times, unfortunately, those are the times that are embedded in our mind. We remember them. We remember the desperate times that we were in. We remember those times of brokenness. And that's when we've learned our toughest lessons in life. So not only does brokenness lead to desperation, but point number two, desperation leads to humility. Just like that Philippian jailer, he fell down on his face. He was desperate, and he humbled himself before Paul and Silas. And so what is it that Naomi is asking Ruth to do? Man, you've got to go lay at this guy's feet. 
Not something you would do every day. But she said, there is a place where you're going to capture his attention. There is a place where you are going to humble yourself. And there is a place where you need to go now and be intentional. You're in a desperate place. And our desperation has led to this point of humility in your life. So have you humbled yourself before the Lord? Have you said, Lord, I'll bow down before you. I'll call you Lord. You're not just my Savior, but you're my Lord. I bow my face down before you, and I submit myself to your authority. Lord, I'm in a position that I have no control over. I'm desperate. I'm being intentional, and I'm laying myself down at your feet. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Jesus tells a parable that goes along with two people. One was proud, one was humble. Luke, chapter 18. I wasn't planning on reading this whole passage, but I think we have time. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. Also he spake this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed, Thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Mm. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that before? Have you ever prayed, God, I'm not a bad person. I'm not nearly as bad as that person down the road. God, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but at least I'm not as bad as such and such, whoever the person may be. Basically, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not perfect. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. At least I'm not like these other people around me. He was comparing himself to another man instead of comparing himself to a holy God. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Then he got specific about it. He said, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Or even as this tax collector, one person that was right there in his very presence, praying it out loud. It didn't matter to him whether anybody heard it or not. Then he starts bragging on himself and what he's done as if his righteousness or the things that he does could make things right between him and the Lord. Here's what I do, Lord. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Is that what your prayer life is like? Or are you like this next gentleman that Jesus describes? He says the tax collector. The tax collector was standing afar off. He couldn't even lift his eyes up, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. That's how humble and humiliated he was. That's how sorrowful and broken he was over the condition that he was in. But he beat on his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Desperation leads to humility. And that's where this man was. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. I want you to note the posture that Naomi instructs in verses 4 and in verse 7. This is how she wanted Ruth to respond as she approached Boaz. Verse number 4. When he lies down, you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And in verse 7, that's exactly what Ruth did. After Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap. She came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Let me ask you that about this in your prayer life. Does our posture matter in prayer? How low are you willing to go to humble yourself? Desperation leads to humility. Does our location matter in our prayer life and in our prayer time? But Ruth, uh, Naomi was very specific in giving instruction. Look, wherever this man goes, you find out where he's at. You, you find out where his feet are. You uncover his feet. You lie down at his feet. The location was very important as well. But here's the key right here. Does the realization of your need matter? Do you really realize how desperate you are without God? Do you really realize that you can't do it on your own and you need help of God? Oh, my God, I, I put myself at your feet because there's nothing, absolutely nothing that I can do about this situation. So, Lord, in the best way I can, I humble myself before you in my point of brokenness, in my point of desperation, and I'm asking that you do something about this for me. That's exactly, in essence, what Ruth is doing here. She's approaching Boaz with a situation that she can't do anything about. She's gone as far as she could with it. And she's saying, now, with you as my redeemer, you as my next of kin, you are the only person with the power enough to help me out of this situation that I'm in and set things right. I'm in a desperate situation. I'm doing some intentional steps to get to this point, And now I need you to help me. Desperation leads to intentionality, and it should lead to intentionality in our prayer lives as well. Point number three, not only does brokenness lead to desperation, not only does desperation lead to humility, but humility is the beginning of true discipleship. Man, I'm going to give up my Sunday afternoon nap to be here at 4.30 to start on a discipleship class. I'm going to humble myself to Brother Tracy. and Whatever he has to say, whatever he has to teach me, that's what I want to learn. I'm at a point to where I can't take this any further on my own. I need some specific, intentional steps to get me to the point where I need to be. In that class a while ago, we set some goals. What do I want to be like in two months from now? Where do I want to be in my Christian walk six months from now? Where do I want to be in my Christian walk one year from now? Those are intentional steps that I encouraged everybody to take. 
Well, Ruth and Naomi, they're being intentional about it as well. And Naomi is, is giving us a picture of discipleship here. Did you notice the very intentional steps, the instructions that Naomi gave to Ruth? Look back up in uh, verses 3 it starts. Here's what Naomi told her to do. First of all, wash yourself. Girl, you've got to get yourself cleaned up. You've been out in the field working. You stink. (laughs) You don't want to go around no man smelling the way that you do. Let's get you smelling better. Let's get you looking better. Let's get you cleaned up. Second of all, anoint yourself. We we can't afford perfume, but we're going to do what we can to make you. We're going to rub some flowers on you. We're going to have a little bouquet or flowers or something. But we want you to anoint yourself. We want you to be looking good. We want you to be presentable to Boaz. And you can't go in there with your Carhartt jeans on and your jacket and your overalls. You've been out in the field working. Let's put on your best garment. And then you go down. You humble yourself. You must decrease and he must increase. And then you sit at your feet. That's a picture of discipleship that Naomi has given us there. She's taking Ruth. Because if you remember what Ruth said back in chapter 1, she says, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. Whatever you do, that's what I want to do. Your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. I want you to teach me the ways of your people and the ways of your God. And that's exactly what Naomi is doing here. First of all, Naomi knows the culture of the Israelite people. Second of all, Naomi knows the laws of the kinsman redeemer and what it's going to take. And so she is being very intentional about her instructions that she gives to Ruth. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. Humble yourself and sit at his feet. And so when we take someone and we mentor them, whether it's a new Christian, whether it's somebody that's struggling in their walk, we've got to be very intentional with what we want them to do. Wash ourselves by reading God's word. God, let let your word purge me. Let it come all over me. Uh, Put on your best garment. Understand that you are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're teaching them intentional steps about drawing closer to the Lord. And walking with him day by day. There's another picture that's being painted here. The picture that God is painting here is the picture of a bride being prepared for the groom. It's also a picture of the church, which is the bride of Christ, being prepared to meet the bridegroom himself, Jesus. So in essence, Ruth is a picture of the church being prepared to be coupled with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, maybe write down this passage, Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Humility is the beginning of discipleship. And right now, God is cleansing us, the church, because I think that day that we meet him is coming soon. I believe that day of consummation between the bride and the bridegroom is going to happen very, very soon. I think God right now is washing, cleansing, and purging the church and getting her ready for that day of the consummation. But what we're seeing here, the instructions that Naomi is giving to Ruth, it's a crystal clear picture in my book of discipleship. She's giving very specific intentional instructions for Ruth to be able to draw closer to Boaz, who is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So brokenness leads to desperation. Desperation leads to humility. Humility is the beginning of discipleship. Number four, discipleship leads us to the feet of Jesus. So the end of the workday is over with. All the grain gathering is done. They're in the, uh, the threshing floor, which is a place where they would beat out the, the chaff and separate the seed from the chaff. The good stuff from the bad stuff, they take all the harvest in there. So it's at the end of the day, all the work is done. They've all rested. The day's work is finished with. Ruth has prepared himself, herself. It's time for a little rest. So discipleship often... And the goal of discipleship is to lead us to the feet of Jesus. So there comes a time when these things must take place. These things are the work must cease. End of the day is over with. Ruth has gathered all the grain she's going to gather. The work has come to a cease. There must come a time where you say all the work has come to an end right now. It's time for me to get at the feet of Jesus. There also comes a time when we take instruction. This is exactly what Naomi was doing to Ruth. She was giving her dead-on instructions of how to get to the feet of her Redeemer. So discipleship leads to the feet of Jesus. Discipleship involves specific instructions, reading your Bible, taking time in prayer, Sharing your faith with other people. All of those bring you closer and closer to the feet of Jesus. Setting aside a specific time where you can meet up with the Lord and hear from him. There also comes a time when we intentionally bow down before the Lord. God, I need you now more than I ever have before in my life. God, I come before you. I don't, I don't ask of anything. I just thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for all that you've given to me. I thank you for my salvation. And I bow down before you as Lord and Savior of my life. But there also comes a time when we ask him to help us, which is where Ruth is right now. That's her number one goal is to get to her Redeemer and say, look, I need you to help me. I'm in a situation that I can't do anything about. There's nobody else around here who's shown me the kindness. If something has led me to your field. I don't know what it was, but we all know that it was God's divine providence. He brought her there. And now she is humbling herself 
at the feet of her Redeemer. There was a situation very, very similar happened to Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, Jesus was in Simon's house. Simon was a rich, affluential person in the community. Simon was having a big feast because he wanted to impress Jesus. And in comes this sinful woman. Everybody knew she was a sinful woman. She had a jar of perfume, and with her tears, she washed the feet of Jesus, which is something that Simon didn't do. After she had washed Jesus' feet with her tears, she dried them with his hair. And then she took that precious perfume and anointed his feet. And this is the picture that we see of what's going on with Ruth right here. She is laying herself at the feet of Boaz, her redeemer. Discipleship leads us to the feet of Jesus. All of this starts with a level of brokenness. How desperate are you to get to the feet of Jesus? How desperate are you to get to the feet of your Redeemer? And has, has he broken you to that point to where you say, God, there's nothing else I can do. Would you please help me in my situation? So there comes, a, there comes a turning point in your Christian life when that takes place. What it is, what your break point is, I don't know. There, there were several significant events that took place in my life that brought me to that point. So the turning point in our Christian lives is not when you turn away from your sin. That's justification. That's when you realize that, God, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. That, that's simply the first step in a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. So first of all, be justified and cleansed of your sins. The turning point in your Christian life is not when you start serving the Lord. That, that's obedience. Baptism is the first step of obedience because it's what the Lord commanded us to do. But when we begin serving, when we start implementing those spiritual gifts, that's a turning point, but it's an obedient turning point. It's not when you start overcoming some of those ungodly habits in your life. That's, that's sanctification. That is something we should be constantly doing as Christians, as disciples. But the turning point in your Christian life is this. It's when you humble yourself at the feet of Jesus and realize just how desperate your situation is and how impossible it is for you to make it on your own. It's at that point when you realize that your Redeemer is all you need and only He can provide for you what you don't have and you can't obtain on your own. In other words, it's the point when you realize that He is your only hope. And so Ruth is something that, uh, that paints us a picture of that. During this bad time, she's not just getting bitter, which she could have easily done. She's not having a pity party. She's getting out. She's doing something about it. She's pursuing the Lord in any way that she can. She's taking instructions from Naomi, and she starts to bloom into something that she never expected. She never expected that she would be in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. She would be included in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so out of this dark affliction, out of this desperate time, we see Ruth blooming and growing into something beautiful 
something that nobody ever expected and something that she never expected, something that she didn't anticipate. I got a couple of pictures I want to show you. I, I didn't notice them till earlier today. Many of you know that uh, a few weeks ago, the house right next to us caught on fire, uh, was basically totally destroyed. And I noticed something today that I hadn't noticed since then. Uh, I was out walking uh, the dog up and down the sidewalk. When I came back, I noticed something. I, I caught a look at this view right here, number one picture. With all of that destruction in the background, with all of that tragedy that it went on, temperatures that reached no telling how much, firefighters trampling all around this area, the home of total loss. People have driven by this house practically every day for weeks now, slowing down, stopping and looking at it. I'm sure the thing that they saw was what? The charred roof, all the destruction, all the devastation. But I guarantee you there weren't very many people that noticed this one rose bush doing what it was created to do, bringing a little bit of beauty to a desperate situation. Up close, uh, you can see one of the prettiest I think it's one of the prettiest flowers I've seen. Oh, what's the next picture? Do you have the second picture or just the one? Just the one? Okay. But the one down at the bottom up close, I mean, man, it looks like it just bloomed the other day. After all of that tragedy, after all of that heat, after all of that devastation, that one rose is blooming just as beautifully as it possibly could. So in your desperation, in your time of affliction maybe, uh, what is God doing in your life? What is he trying to make bloom out of your brokenness? It's not going to last forever, this tough time that you're going through. Just like Ruth and Naomi, some say it might have been 10 years from the time that Naomi's husband passed away to this time where Ruth approaches Boaz as her kinsman redeemer. But no matter what tragedy is going on in your life, you look for those bright spots. You look for what God is doing. You look for what God is trying to birth out of that tragedy. And you focus on that. You put yourself at the feet of the Redeemer and say, God, I want something beautiful to come out of this. I, I want something that will be a testimony to your goodness in my life. And that you as my Redeemer can provide something that nobody else can provide. And I want you to be my only hope during this time of desperation. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. I'm going to close out with these verses. And it's something that I want you to take with you tonight. Therefore, and what I say this morning when you see a therefore, you look and see what it's there for. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. 
And that's exactly what Ruth was looking for, was someone to care for her during her dark time. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Have something prepared for the invitation just on the piano. I'm going to take just a few moments. I just want you to think about what God is doing in your life right now. Perhaps what is it that you've been through? What's the struggle that you've dealt with recently? What is something that we could be praying for you about? What is something that we can help you through? What is God trying to work out in your life? As the music begins, the altars are open. If you need me to pray for you or pray with you, if you got someone else that you want to pray with you, or maybe if you want to get at these altars alone by yourself, and just put yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, God, you're my only hope right now in this situation that I'm in. Or maybe you just want to come before the Lord tonight and just thank him for what he has brought you through. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.